Today on the Goal USA podcast, Ivis Glorious and Thomas Floyd are here. We talk about the United States Gold Cup roster, which fringe players are going to break through, and are there any snubs on the team? Later, we look at the MLS weekend and also the earthquakes firing of Don Kinnear, rivalry week impressions, and so much more. Stay tuned, it's the Goal USA podcast. Welcome in, everyone. It's the Goal USA podcast. I'm John Arnold with a lovely panel today of Ivis Glarsip in New York, Thomas Floyd in D.C. We're going to talk about the weekend that was in Major League Soccer, Rivalry Weekend. But first, we're going to chat about the U.S. Gold Cup roster. I'm going to go straight to you, Ivis. This is a, an interesting group. We don't have some of the bigger names, a Christian Pulisic, a Jeff Cameron. Um, but there's some young guys getting a chance and also some fringe guys, I think. Some guys who have been in the national team before and maybe are going to try and, well, they're obviously back in now, and they're going to try and break into that top group. Uh, what did you think of the roster overall, Ivis, and that kind of uh, group of guys that are trying to become regulars in the national team? Well, we knew uh, once the World Cup qualifiers of June were over that Bruce Arena was going to go with a mostly uh, fresh-faced group, and he was going to give his top guys a, a rest. And it's interesting. I was curious if, if he was going to actually follow through. If the U.S. had lost, say they had lost you know, both those qualifiers or things had gotten really ugly, he had kind of threatened to bring all his guys in for the for all his first-team guys for the Gold Cup. Thankfully, that didn't happen, and now we get to see some new guys. For me, the interesting ones are, are the the dual nationals who have committed to the U.S. Kenny, Kenny, is it Saif? I think it's pronounced, uh, and and uh, Dom Dwyer, uh, two guys who are interest, interesting prospects for me. Uh, Saif, left-footed uh, winger slash attacking midfielder, and then Dwyer, everyone, everyone who listens surely knows from Sporting Kansas City. I think those are the two guys. I want to see how they fit in to this group. I I take that point, and I think it's interesting. But, Tiflid, what's more fascinating to me, and maybe not to you, but what's more fascinating to me is guys like Eric Lehigh, Juan Agadello, even uh, Bill Hamid and Sean Johnson, these guys that we thought maybe four or five years ago, maybe even longer ago, ah, they're the future of the national team. And then they just weren't. They, whether it was Jurgen Klinsmann didn't want to play them, they, were, they didn't have a good run of form, they fell victim to injuries. For whatever reason, they just weren't part of the group. And now those guys are really going to be pushing in this tournament to show, yeah, I deserve to be in this top 20. 23 that are going to go to qualifiers and presumably go to Russia World Cup uh, 2018. And with some of those players you mentioned, they are very much in the running for positions where the U.S. is looking for depth. I look at a guy like Eric Lehigh who can play left back and right back. Uh, the fullback depth for the U.S. national team, particularly on the left side, which isn't Lehigh's preferred position, but somewhere he has shown he can fill in. The depth there is not exactly stellar. They have Jorge Villafaña as the first choice at left back right now. And we saw Demarcus Beasley give a gutsy performance against Mexico in World Cup qualifying. But you have to imagine the U.S. is looking for longer term options than a 35 year old Beasley going into the World Cup. So I look at someone like Lehigh, someone like Justin Morrow, who also got a, a little taste of the national team a few years ago and then fell out of the picture. Those are players who I think realistically could break into the mix for the first team group just because of the lack of depth at the positions they play. Uh, same for Dom Dwyer, who's a, a newcomer. He's going up against Agadello, who you mentioned, and, and Jordan Morris for minutes up top. And I think the U.S. is looking for another goal-scoring option. You have three forwards who are very much in the rotation, Clint Dempsey, Bobby Wood, Josie Altidore. 
the U.S. is going to carry a fourth forward for uh, most games, presumably in the World Cup. That could be Jordan Morris. It could be Agadello. That could be Dom Dwyer. So that's another position I'm looking at that includes both uh, newcomers to the national team picture and also some guys who have had their chances in the past and just haven't quite made the most of it. Definitely options up top or chances for guys to put their stamp uh, on the on the position. Also, Justin Moore, you mentioned one cap, 29 years old, getting his shot to maybe break in as well. Ivis, you wrote on, on goal uh, five thoughts that were all pretty good, um, but one of the ones I was most fascinated by was the, the center back position. It's really crowded. You have some guys who have uh, a lot of experience with the national team who started together in the Klinsman era who are both in pretty good form at the club level and Matt Beasler and Omar Gonzalez, but then you also have Matt Hedges, who of course has been so good with FC Dallas for so long and then kind of a rising option you know with with Matt Miazga how do you see that center back position shaking out Ivis especially with sort of you know I think you kind of have two guys who are better on the left two guys better on the right is that have I done my math right there (laughs) that's how it's uh that's how it's set up at this point uh but uh, yeah center back is is super deep and 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 I'm almost kind of snuck up on this how this group is kind of developed when you think about uh, Tim Ream really coming along at Fulham and John Brooks turning into a, a, a star in the Bundesliga, just w- uh, made his move now to to Wolfsburg for the biggest uh, transfer in, in the history uh, for an American player, for a U.S. national team player. Uh, now you have this group where a player like Matt Beisler, who's looked like looked like he was about to start fading, be, being phased out of the picture, now he has an opportunity here to kind of reassert himself as one of the top left center back options. Right now, it's looking like Brooks and Ream are the top two, but now he has, he has his opportunity to fight to be that third guy. Uh, Matt Hedges can play the left center back position. I mean, he's not naturally left footed, he, but right. he can, he, he's good with both feet, as you know. Um, so I, I, I want to see what he does. Bruce Arena has been so high on him uh, in the last couple of times that he's had him in. And so I think he really wants to get a look at him. So maybe it's not a given that you know, you're going to see Beasler and Gonzalez together uh, in, in these group matches. But much like Juan Carlos Osorio and Confederations Cup, I'm sure Bruce Arena will mix this up, These th- the way the three games in, in short time is going to be. I think you're going to see Beasler and Gonzalez maybe partnered, and then you then probably see Beasley, uh, uh, Hedges and Miazga partnered, and then a different combination for that third game. Matt Miazga is the guy I really want to see because, you know, he looked good with the Red Bulls when he was here his last year before he left. But I mean, I, th- I thought he got a little a bit too much hype uh, that, that year when, when he left, but now in the, in the Netherlands, he had a good year with the tests and you really want to see how he stacks up, how he measures up. And if he's realistically someone who could get, play his way into the world cup picture a year from now, considering how young he is, I mean, he's 21 years old, which is very young for a center back. Um, and then hopefully in this tournament, we get to see what he has to offer. Uh, some other young guys who I think will probably have a pretty influential roles to play in this tournament. You look at Kellen Acosta, who started uh, against Mexico, as did Paul Ariola, Jordan Morris, who you mentioned a little bit, T. Floyd, and also Christian Roland getting the call. Uh, it, it seems to me like this is a big chance for them as well to to prove that they're ready for the big stage, that, that age won't be an issue, that they're not sort of uh, intimidated by international competition. Thomas, uh, there's some young guys who could certainly make some inroads here in addition to Matt Miazga, who, uh, who I just mentioned. For sure. And I think it's worth looking back to Bruce Arena's previous statements about building a World Cup roster. He's a guy who has said the World Cup is a young man's game. And back in 2002, he trusted young players who had just broken into the picture like Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley. And while he's gone with veteran heavy groups and World Cup qualifying and these uh, semi must win games for the U.S. to get back on track, 
I think Arena will not hesitate at all to bring some young, inexperienced players into the mix in, in the build-up to the World Cup and perhaps in the tournament itself. So if you're a guy like Acosta, a guy like Roldan, this is a golden opportunity to uh, get into the mix. And, and even if you're not a huge factor in World Cup qualifying, that doesn't mean you're not going to be in Russia. The Gold Cup, a golden opportunity. I appreciate your pun, T. Floyd. I see you. <laughs> Uh, that was un- unintentional, but <laughs> I'm um, so. still going to pat myself on the back. <laughs> don't, don't hurt yourself doing so. There were a couple guys that you were hoping would be in that group that Arena would call in. I think everyone's mostly content with the roster. But T-Fold, you were hoping for a couple guys that you like watching play. Who who were your minor snubs? Yeah, these are just quibbles. Uh, I, this is not okay. like the days of Jurgen Glinsman when there were some real head scratchers who missed out on the roster. I've always been a Will Trap fan, and I think he's a player whose technical ability is a deep-lying midfielder, uh, sort of signifies the type of play the U.S. is trying to implement and uh, trying to build toward to be more of a possession-oriented team and to to be a team that plays more attractive soccer. And I, I've always liked the idea of having him in the national team mix, and he's never really gotten a chance. He has a couple uh, cameos under Klinsman, but, but that's it. So... He's a player I would have liked to see in there. Uh, maybe CJ Sapong as a forward, just because the U.S. you know only brought three uh, true strikers in this camp, or at least three players who are listed as forwards on the roster. And uh, perhaps it would have been interesting to get Sapong in the mix and just see what he can bring to the table as a as a as a target forward option who is really good at uh, bringing teammates into the attack at uh just excelling in terms of his hold-up play so i'd say trap and sapong were the two guys who i i would have liked to see maybe get a chance in this goal and we still could see those players because they were on the preliminary roster ivis yeah that's true I, what, what i would say is interesting when you mentioned a will trap is i mean there are definitely a few guys who at the beginning of the year or or even last year you would have pegged to be in this Gold Cup conversation, but maybe aren't haven't had the best years or haven't had as good years as they've had in the past. I think Trap, uh, I thought he was better last year. I think he's still kind of settling in there this year. We ha- and it, it's coming at a bad time because at that position, when you look at guys like Ke- uh, Kellen Acosta coming into his own, Joe Cronin coming off a great year, Roldan is playing amazingly. So I think it's just a matter of uh, being at a deep position where other where, where a big group of guys have have really stepped up. Another player who falls in that category is Steve Birnbaum, who for me in the opportunities that he's gotten with the national team, he's actually done really well with them. But now this year at, with these United, it it hasn't been he hasn't been quite as dominant as he's ha- as he's been in the past. I'm sure Thomas uh, could shed some light on that. I'm sure he, you know he sees he sees him in person all the time. But I think he it's been a bad timing for him because here he is uh, in that center back picture, and it's all of a sudden super crowded, and you have like seven or eight center backs that could be in front of you, and and I think that's why he missed out this time. Real quick sure. before we talk about the MLS, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm going to cut you off too, Floyd. Uh, just the tournament so in general, this is going to make money for CONCACAF, and it always does. But I have written in the past, and I'm not alone, that the, the off-year Gold Cup tournaments, the tournaments where you know there's a Confederations Cup on, so one team is obviously going to take their A team, it's been Mexico the past two times, and bring their B team to the Gold Cup. The U.S. is going with a team that's not its strongest. Panama is going with a B team, essentially, giving players like Blas Perez, Roman Torres, Jaime Pinedo, um, and and some other veterans this summer off to focus on World Cup qualification. Costa Rica, no Kayla Navas. So it's 
I've said that I think that some of the bigger teams should basically take this tournament off, let this be sort of a like they do in Asia where it's a, a, a challenge cup and they have some of the smaller teams fighting for, for minutes. But overall in the tournament this year, it, it seems, Ivis, like it's going to be sort of up for anyone to win. I mean, this U.S. squad could win the tournament, right? But you also wouldn't be surprised if, if Mexico's very strong B-team won it or, or if Costa Rica, with a pretty strong side aside from not having Navas, uh, you know, was able to, to sort of use the chemistry that they have. How do you see the tournament overall breaking out? And what do you think of the fact that it's almost a, a B-tournament, I want to say? Well, we've seen this before. We've mm-hmm. seen it, uh, the uh, like you said, the off-year off Gold Cups. We've seen more than just Mexico and more than just the U.S., uh, resting guys or, ha- or, ha- or you know, send, not sending full-blown B teams, but sending teams where they're missing a couple of their best guys. For me, if you look at it, I mean, Costa Rica's pretty is closest to be, to the A team of, yes. of the group. And if you just look at, at personnel and experience, you, you might you could argue Costa Rica is the favorite in this tournament. Although you also have to remember with the six potential replacements for the knockout rounds, the U.S. roster could, could, could get stronger pretty quickly when, when you start bringing in potentially guys like Altidore Bradley and Clint Dempsey. Uh, I, I actually like these tournaments because of the fact that it allows these bigger teams to to dig into their player pools uh, when they have that depth, when they have uh, those kind of talents that, that, can, that can offer you something. I think when you look at the U.S., if you think back, I mean, I remember 2009 stands out in my mind because that was one of those off-year Gold Cups where it was B-teams. Clearly, U.S. had a B-team. They they played in the Confederations Cup that year, and Mexico sent their B-team as well. Uh, it, when I think about that U.S. B-team, that that this, te- this current U.S. team is significantly deeper, in my opinion, than that team. And I think that, I think for, for that reason, I think that's even more useful for a U.S. to have this kind of tournament, and even for Mexico, because, I mean, even though Mexico won that, won that Gold Cup, destroying the U.S. in the final, uh, when I when you look at the kind of talent on that Mexico team that they're going to have this summer, it's still pretty talented. There's still some mm-hmm. really good prospects on there, and I think it's great as a as a U.S. fan, American fans, not only to see these 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 second tier Americans play, but you also want to get a look at the future of the Mexican national team and get a look at those prospects because I think you know it, it's it's just I think it's good to see. Thomas, I won't catch you off this time. Yet, that your thoughts on the value of this tournament overall, and maybe who could win it with uh, with several of the teams not bringing their best. Well, I uh, not to uh, <laughs> just copy you, but I do look at those three teams you mentioned, the USB team, the Mexico B team, and this uh, pretty strong Costa Rica team look like the clear front runners in this tournament. And at this point, uh, it's tough to peg a real favorite because we just haven't seen how these players fare on the international stage, how they uh, how they build chemistry with each other. I will say, I think the U.S., uh, with the players they put on their 40-man roster, I assume they'll be more willing to dive into the A-team for the knockout round than, say, Mexico after playing in the Confederations Cup. And the idea of bringing in uh, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, Darlington Nagby, Clint Dempsey, those guys could make the difference for the U.S. and help them win this tournament. So I'd probably put them down as the favorite just because uh, I can't imagine Mexico's uh, knockout round reinforcements, if there are any, will be 
uh, as as talented as if they'll be going as deep into <laughs> their A team. Although they do have some of the guys on the Confederations Cup on the provisional as well, so it's possible. It, it'll it'll be fascinating. You're right. I think that the U.S. might be a little more inclined to bring in some of the big names, and you know, a B team might be strong. Maybe we're not giving this enough credit. We'll definitely be covering it a goal, and uh, so you can read about it there. We're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna talk MLS when we get back. Dom Kinnear no longer employed. Stay with us. As I mentioned before the break, Dom Kinnear, longtime MLS coach, coached the Earthquakes twice. This is the second go-around, or was the second go-around, I should say. He went to Houston with the franchise, won two MLS Cups there, came back to San Jose, and things were actually going okay. Ivis, they're sitting in the playoff positions, but Dom Kinnear no longer the coach at the Earthquakes. What do you make of this move? It was always going to happen. It was uh, it was, the, the clock was ticking on Dom Kinnear as soon as they hired a new general manager, and, and you really got the sense that the only way he's going to make it through the year is if the earthquake somehow just, you know, surprised everybody and ha- had the kind of year, like say even the Chicago fire having right now where they're really turning it on. Uh, and that didn't happen. And it, it tells you something when they win a game <laughs> right. and, he, and he gets fired. Cause then it's kind of like you, you picture, you picture the, the powers that be in San Jose kind of waiting and waiting for the right time to let him go. And then finally they're like, listen, let's stop waiting. Let's we know we want to get rid of him. <laughs> right. Let's get rid of him. And uh, I guess that, it, the only thing that surprised me is that they hired Chris Leach to be his replacement. I mean, I, I do get it. I mean, I've known Chris Leach a long time, uh, known him really well. Uh, I wasn't expecting that because he doesn't have the, the the experience. But having said that, he he knows the organization. He has he's done he's had a, worn a lot of different hats in that organization. So I think from that standpoint, uh, it is a little refreshing that they're trying something different, and and we'll see how he handles it. It seems like he's going to have the the rest of this year to to kind of steer the ship. Yeah, Flood, as Ivis alludes, you know Dom Kinnear again. I mentioned his past MLS success, but not really. Uh... Uh, 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 I don't. I, I mean, look, he just plays a style of soccer that isn't necessarily what is finding success in MLS right now. When you look at the way that the the past several MLS Cup champions have played, it hasn't really been the same style as Dom Kinnear, right? And Kinnear, the the thing is, he's had success pretty recently with the Dynamo. He took them to back to back MLS Cups, and they were a team you never wanted to face in the postseason. It's not like this is a guy who still was just. Uh, making his way off the goodwill of winning MLS Cups in the mid-2000s. But it's, been it's, ten, it's been 10 years, man. <laughs> Time right. flies. Time flies. Right. Old. But the, those more recent runs, which granted are now three, four years ago with the Dynamo, I, I felt like those showed that he, he was able to adapt in certain ways. But just over the last couple of seasons, the way MLS has grown, the way the the player pool has improved and the, and the league has sort of moved on to MLS, you know, I don't know. I lose track. Are we MLS 3.0 now? Um, 2.1, 2.1, yeah. maybe. 2.5. <laughs> either, either way, it, I feel I feel like this is maybe an, an oversimplification, but he just comes across as a bit of an MLS 1.0 coach who had his time, and now he just has a, a style of play that is not sustainable in the league as we see it now. Well, one thing I definitely would say on that front is I, I can never see the argument for that. But I think what really ended up hurting him this time around is, is is the fact that I think he's a guy who always needed a good general manager to build the team for him, to give him the talent. I think if you give him the right the right talent, 
he he could he can have a winner. He, he can take those pieces and build a winner. And I think in San Jose, what kind of might have hurt him is that he gets back. He goes back to San Jose and he's with John Doyle, who, from my understanding, him that you know they're very good friends. But John Doyle is not a good general manager, and I think that that I think that at the end of the day hamstrung him. It kind of handcuffed him a bit with a with a squad that wasn't you know wasn't that great. And from a talent standpoint, now this year you're seeing them with their new general manager. They 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 they've added all these players from Europe that that no one has ever heard of. Although some of them you know are panning out a little bit, but it's all a little haphazard. The group, the kind, the players that they're putting together, you wonder if they can fit together. So I think it, under different circumstances, if if you had a Dom Kinnear with say a Garth Lagoway or something like that, I think you could still see Kinnear be a successful coach. But I think at the end of the day, what hurt him more recently is the lack of talent. I, I definitely understand your point. I think it's a great one. I thought you were originally trying to say the general manager didn't want that kind of pressure. Like he was like, no, nah, I can't build a strong team. Like if the coach needs me to build the team, I'm out. I got you now. I'm on the right page. <laughs> Speaking of getting old, Clint Dempsey. Is he getting old? Yes, we all are. But he scores a late goal in Portland. A late, late goal if you're on the East Coast. Um, the Sounders get a point. Get uh, Excuse me. The Sounders, yeah, the Sounders get a point. What am I talking about? It feels like three. That's why. You're a little it confused. Feels it felt like, like they three. won the game, but they tied. Yeah. Right. You saw, you saw Roman Torres uh, giving the assist. We Joe Ed Jones getting forward, etc. T. Floyd, we were joking after the game about the Sounders. Uh, need to just throw it all out there. Go for eight goals <laughs> a game. And uh, maybe forget about this whole defense thing. And this isn't the first time this has happened. They've had a couple results this year when they've stolen points on the road by just throwing caution to the wind and getting numbers forward and, and counting on having players like Dempsey and Will Bruin who know how to finish in the box. So uh, maybe they need to just play a little more direct. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's hard to pin down this Sounders team. What do you think of the Cascadia game, Ivis? Well, I think, I think the Timbers totally blew it. I really do. I yeah. mean, I think if you, if, if, the, the big issue with them, to, especially yeah, Sounders were down to 10 men. Right. Well, so, right. Exactly. So here's the thing. If you're winning that game, I mean, it was also very hot, right? The hot conditions. You're winning the game. It's later in the game. You have to be smarter about how you manage the end of a game. And when you're when you're up a man, up a goal, keep the ball, step on the ball, take the air out of the ball, knock it around, you know, play keep away. They they threw numbers forward like they were like they were losing or like mm-hmm. they were tying. And that was exactly that played right into what Seattle wanted. Seattle wanted a back and forth affair because they they would be able to catch them on the counter. And that's exactly what happened. I got to believe Caleb Porter, when he watches this game over again, is going to say to himself, why did why did we not take take the air out of the ball? Why do we not just try to possess it? And, and just keep it away from a, a, a Seattle team that had to be tired playing down a man for an entire half. Uh, I, I kind of put that one, uh, you know, it, I'll, I'll put it on Porter, but but I'm, I'll put it even more on the players because as a veteran group, uh, as, uh, the, Portland just has to keep that ball and stop acting like they're losing. Bit of a pattern because they, I think Blanco scored against Colorado two weeks ago. They end up losing that game and then uh, uh, also lost in Minnesota in that 3-2 game during the week. Uh, not exactly what you want to become uh, to make a habit, and I'm sure the Porter will be trying to figure out this week how to avoid that next time. Ivis, you were at the New York City Derby as well. This was a 2-0 victory for New York City FC, a game that I didn't really see the Red Bulls getting in much. How did you see it? Oh, it, it, well, first of all, it's before anyone complains, it's the New York Derby because, of course, the Red Bulls are in Jersey, but we call uh, it the New York Derby. Because well, their name the, is New York. Right, but it's not the New York City Derby. 
Mm-hmm. Although it is now because NYC dominated this game. It was it, they, they they outplayed them. And I know as much as Jesse Marsh tried to downplay the disparity between the teams because, of course, possession. And, and he pointed out that the, the Red Bulls did have the edges possession. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. But NYCFC had clearly the better chances, mm-hmm. si- significantly more chances. If not for Luis Robles, this could have been ugly. This could yes, have been 4-0, 5-0. Yeah. If you look yeah, at and NYCFC the, and, and, and they weren't just shots. There were some really good right. saves by Robles. Harrison could have had two goals. Young El Herrera could have had two goals. So it, what I saw was an NYCFC team. We we it, they showed just how much better they are now from last year, and 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 they did such a good job in the winter of addressing needs, uh, w- whether it's their defense solidifying their defense, adding Rodney Wallace on the wing to give them some more balance. Sean Johnson is an upgrade, has been an upgraded goalkeeper. So, uh, Alex Ring is giving them uh, him and Herrera clearly in the defensive midfield part part of the field. Is solidified things. So they've improved all around the field, whereas the Red Bulls have not. The Red Bulls are not better really anywhere. I mean, you can point to Aaron Long as as being kind of a revelation for them. He's done really well. But other than that, they just haven't they just haven't improved. I mean, Tyler Adams, bright future, great prospect. He is not better than Dax McCarty right mm-hmm. now. He is not at all better than him. And Dax McCarty gives you so many things that they're missing now. So I think from that standpoint, we really saw the disparity in what these teams did this offseason. And now, now I see, I mean, Red Bulls fans have a real reason to be concerned because it, are reinforcements coming this summer? Is the team going to spend or are they just going to be happy kind of developing their young guys and, and, and seeing how that plays out? But I tell you what, they're, they're no longer the team that won those supporter shields a couple in the recent years. Now they're looking kind of just like a middle of the pack team in the east t floyd we're talking uh you and i about the skc galaxy game clement diop he showed up in our mls rumor mill as a uh, maybe getting some european interest <laughs> now i think he's trying to uh delete the european scouts mls live subscriptions a nightmare of a game for him <laughs> uh, 2-1 uh victory that kansas city was able to get really on two goalkeeping errors and the, but honestly from minute one sporting kansas city sort of had this game plan of playing over the top trying to attack from the left side and it it, it really came through yeah and the the galaxy just are not getting results at home it's we're now halfway through the season and they are a team that you don't want to face when they're on the road. They have found a way to get results, to get impressive results. And then at home, they are extremely vulnerable. And I honestly cannot figure out how that's happening. This is a team that has just made StubHub Center into a fortress over the last few years. And to, to see them just dropping points at will... At home in, in Carson is points at it, will. <laughs> yeah. they're like, "Yep, this is when we're doing it. It's tonight. We're going to drop these points." <laughs> exactly. It's it's been ugly, and it's something they need to figure out because MLS is not a league where you can survive dropping points at home. Speaking of teams that are great at home, teams that don't drop points at home, FC Dallas goes down to Houston BBVA Compass. They get just the second point that any team has taken out of that stadium the whole year. They've won seven games at home the Dynamo have, now two draws, uh, a game that I thought was was pretty fascinating as well. You know, Oscar Pereja and William, Wilmer Cabrera know each other. Uh, they've known each other for a long time, work closely together. Uh, and I think we saw a game where Albert Elise starts on the bench. It's hot, it's humid. And as soon as he comes on, Pereja brings on Aaron Guillen, a defender. It goes to a five-man back line to try and control the Honduran. And, and they get out of there with a point. I think they wanted to go down there and get a win. And then as soon as that goal comes, man, Matt Hedges, we talk about his national team stock. And Ivis, I, I, I buy it. 
But as long as they don't put any games in BBV at Compass. Because you remember last year was that 5-0 <laughs> game where Hedges, you know, it was like two or three goals that he was on the hook for. Just the one this time, but Kubo Torres muscles him off the ball to get the goal. All said, I think both Texas teams have plenty to be happy about and, and are on good paths. Yeah, it's an evenly matched uh, game. I mean, I think uh, as much as Houston isn't going to want to drop points at home, I think th- this was as good a test as they've had recently at home. And and I think I think uh, it, they'll be happy with that, with the fact that, you know, FC Dallas, as much as they kind of almost feel like they're underachieving in the last few in the last mm-hmm. few weeks, the results haven't been there. They're still one of the best teams in the league. Mm-hmm. So for, for Houston to kind of match up with them they, and they, they I don't know, I feel like they had slightly better chances. Than FC Dallas. I mean, you were there, so you tell me. I mean, maybe you disagree, but uh, if I'm Uma Cabrera, I'm happy with how how the matchup went because yeah. you know you, you, it's a it you hate to drop points at home when you're playing a team that good when you can match up with them and it, it was fairly even. I mean, you look yeah. at, at the stats. I mean, everything was pretty pretty even. Uh, you know, I, I was I came way impressed with Houston. Yeah. I'm not gonna say I wasn't impressed with Dallas, but that like Dallas kind of you know they were what they were. They're no uh, quantity. Houston, yeah, yeah, Houston showed me more. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, T4, did you want to chime in this? I'm good. No, it sounded like you wanted to come in. No, that's totally fine. I I thought it was fascinating. It's weird with Dallas because, of course, last year they were so desperate to win a trophy for the first time in 19 years. They only have won the... They'd only only won the Open Cup. They get their second Open Cup. They get a Supporters' Shield. But I think, obviously, MLS Cup is the biggest prize. And I think they're sort of going into this year and, and sort of continuing in the summer with the mentality of being content with not necessarily running away with the league, sitting at the top of the Supporters' Shield standings. Because I think they saw... You know, hey, we did that last year and the year before where they, you know, were lost it on goal difference to the Red Bulls. And what did we come away with? Well, yeah, we got this this shield that the fans like and we're happy that we won it. But ultimately, our goal is to hit our stride at the right time in August, September, rather than maybe run out of gas like they have the last two seasons. Unfortunately, Wait, for well, now. Well, go ahead. No, I just I had such to a great transition, say, man. I had such a great transition. Go ahead. My bad. Be good. Sorry to mess it up. No, no. I just was going to point out that <laughs> well, well, interesting. More Diaz is back, right? But he's yeah. not back. He's no. not back, no. back. Right. So that, that's something to think about going forward because I know everyone thought, oh, once he's back, this team is going to be unstoppable. Well, and, and I think it no, still like, could be, but he like still has to figure out how to play soccer again. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like people, like something to think about is that th- these teams aren't yet what they're going to be mm-hmm. that, once we get into the later part of the year. I mean, even when you look at the Houston, you didn't you didn't have Elise, you didn't have Alex in the starting lineup, uh, considering the years that they've been having. I, you know, I, it's always funny how these these matchups always end up having some key players sitting for some reason, and it's almost like coaches it gives the coach an excuse after the fact if things don't work out that they you know <laughs> they wanted to rest somebody. But I want to see these teams. You tell me when the next matchup is. I think the next matchup is going to be an even is going to be a much better one between these two teams. Listen, listener, pretend my brilliant transition is here, and thanks for listening to the Cole MLS or USA podcast, whatever we're calling this thing. Ivis and Thomas, thanks for joining, guys. Listener, thank you once again for tuning in. We'll be back next week with anything in American soccer, U.S. national team, Mexico as well, MLS, all sorts of stuff. Come back next week, and we'll talk to you then. Take care.